everyone, and welcome to Better Done Than Perfect, a podcast for SaaS founders and product people. Our awesome guest today is Josh Ho, founder and CEO of Referral Rock, and we're going to talk about founder-led sales today. This show is brought to you by Userlist, an email automation platform for SaaS companies. Onboard, engage, and nurture your customers, as well as marketing leads. To follow the best practices, download our free printable email planning worksheets at useless.com worksheets. Hi, Josh. Hi, Jane. How are you? Good to see you here today. For listeners who don't know you, please give us a brief introduction of yourself and what Referral Rock does. Sure. Like Jane mentioned, I'm the founder CEO of Referral Rock. And Referral Rock is a SaaS. I think most of your guests are probably SaaS guests. I'm not sure, but software as a service for businesses to essentially get more word of mouth. So businesses run, everyone loves word of mouth as a way to get new customers. And we essentially create marketing programs to help empower that, right? So people do more sharing the typical Uber, give $10, get $10 for a ride type of programs, but we do it for any type of business. A tiny bit of the background story. What did you do before founding Referral Rock and how long have you been out? It feels like it's been for ages. I think you're definitely over five years, aren't you? Yeah. So before Referral Rock, I guess classically I'm an engineer, right? So I did electrical engineering. I did have a a little kind of B2C startup SaaS before that called Ubernote that didn't really get much of anywhere. Got a lot of users, but practically zero revenue. But that sort of got me into the the startup world and the SaaS world at that point in time. And so Referral Rock came from essentially knowing that I didn't want to do any sort of B2C <laughs> types of SaaS or, or software in that nature, that it strictly focused me towards B2B because I lived through doing marketing and doing all this, building a product, but not being able to get essentially any revenue out of it. And I knew businesses would pay for software where at that point in time, consumers and still probably today, much less pay for software than businesses. So we're talking about sales today, and you started doing sales rather quickly, as you mentioned before, about a year and a half after having your first customer. And you've done that for a while, for a few years before delegating. Why you didn't hire, just, you know, go the easy route, uh, put the money on the problem and just hire a salesperson right away. Why did you think that doing it yourself is better? Well, I didn't really know that I was doing sales when I started. So (laughs) (laughs) it was one of those things. And and just to give people context, uh, this was Referral Rock had its first paying customer in June of 2015. Back in that time, I also started Referral Rock with the idea of it still being a, hey, I'm putting out a product out there. Businesses are going to buy it. And all I'm going to have to do is chat support, right? It was the indie hacker dream that really never came 100% true for my intentions. And within six months of me doing this with just chat and whatnot, helping customers, I would just get annoyed and frustrated with customers because they'd ask questions. I'd be like, I just want to show you this is annoying. This is slow to type all these responses. 
And I just started saying, hey, do you want to just jump on a screen share and I'll just show you and we'll talk about your problems and whatnot. And at that point, we we're also only charging, I think, $50 a month, which made sense in the indie hacker sort of model. But once I started talking to people, boy, like, did my life change because it was first I started converting a lot more sales, right? Like they could actually see me, understand what I was talking about. I could show them different parts of the product that had poor user experience that they would never find on their own. All these little intricacies that when you get a real person, essentially like concierging them through the product, it's a world of a difference, um, let alone it being the founder who could also talk about roadmap and features and, oh yeah, that's a good feature. Hey, I can add that this weekend <laughs> type of thing. So I stumbled into it. And honestly, I didn't even call myself a salesperson. I just thought I was just like helping people with setting up my calendar to do you know, video calls and things like that. How has that evolved from you doing it, whatever you didn't even know was sales to maybe some deliberate sales optimization practices and then hiring your first salesperson a few years later? Right. So yeah, it was probably me cutting my teeth on that for probably about a year. So this is the early phases of you know, making you know, maybe $1,000 MRR, a few thousand dollars and not necessarily enough to pay another person to do it. So I knew I kind of created my schedule, like an AB schedule where I'd have, you know, afternoons on certain days and mornings on offsetting days. So I could get at least time zone coverage, you know, different days I'd be setting my Calendly up to essentially take, take calls then and prompt people for that. So that was even the initial again, backward walking into what everyone sees as get a demo. So I was doing these and then I started being like, oh, I might as well put the link on the front page of, hey, you can schedule a call with me versus just talking to me over chat and me prompting a call. Over that year of doing that, first I had to have enough revenue to support potentially another person. But as I scaled this myself as a business, I just you know was running out of time. I would look at my schedule and be like, well, I'm not building as much product. I'm not doing other marketing. I'm essentially on these one-on-one -on -one calls, which were great because they were converting. But now how can I level myself up? How can I scale that part of me out? And that's kind of where the first idea of, oh, well, now I'll get a new real salesperson. Not this fake stuff I'm doing, right? So my my thought process was like, I'm not doing real sales. I'm just helping people, right? And Lo and behold, that's like really what it is <laughs> when you cut it down to not being a used car salesman and not being a pushy outbound. Because all of this, for context, we're also talking about inside sales. We're talking about people coming to you, doing demo requests, doing consultative calls and things like that. So again, at that point in time, I really didn't know what all these different roles were, right? Like I was a developer, I built product, I did some marketing, but I seldom actually got on calls with people and things like that in the past. So I was like, well, let me get a real salesperson, a real person that knows how to sell. And I hired one. And this was like the summer of 2016. So about a year from when we had a paying customer. And that one fell flat on my face because this person was a very atypical salesperson. She couldn't pick up the product. She had a lot of challenges. And I made, honestly, a bad fit hire. It was not you know, what I thought. And I was assuming, oh, this person knows sales. Let me let a professional come in and do the thing. And we quickly figured out it wasn't a match, probably within a month. And then that's when I 
kind of still was looking for at least a better fit salesperson was the next step. That new salesperson that actually was a good fit. What did they Mm -hmm. introduce to the role that you were unable to do as a founder? It's interesting. It wasn't necessarily about what they were going to introduce for me at that point in time. It was for me, finding that first person was just, can they just click in and do what I was doing at least at a bare minimum, Mm -hmm. right? I wasn't even interested in like, okay, at that point, after the first sales hire blew up in my face, I'm like, well, I don't even know what traditional sales are. I'm not even going to look for someone that has tactics and tricks and how they can level it up. I just need someone to plug in and save myself some time. So when I found that first salesperson, the prerequisite essentially was, can they essentially do what I was at least doing? Uh, Maybe not 100% as effective. Maybe they'd be more effective, maybe not, but could they at least be a good replacement so I could go work on the other things that could help, you know, essentially level up the business. And the history goes, you found a real gem that further uh, became one of your closest team members. Tell us that story. I did. So yeah, I got super lucky. I think this is probably one of the luckiest streaks I've ever had was I found Micah. He is now at this time, he now essentially like our COO operations. He runs sales. He runs the customer success team. He runs all these different teams for us. Billing, he does legal. He is my Swiss army knife extraordinaire that like I couldn't live without at this point. So what happened was I had job postings out and he responded. He actually reached out to me on LinkedIn and said, hey, I see you have this job posting. And at that time, he listed he was a CEO as well. So he had a little startup he'd been working on with another developer. He was a co-founder and it was him and a developer that were doing a like golf course management type of software app, but they couldn't really get it off the ground. They could not, couldn't get sales. They were working on it for a couple of years and just didn't get any traction. And he came to me and kind of with a little bit of ego, which is sort of funny because if you ever meet him, he's like the most easygoing, like doesn't have an ego type of person, but he he had this one line where he's like, eh, okay, I can do anything you can do except for code. And I'm like, <laughs> like, well, uh, we'll see about that. But if you can do this selling thing, if you can help me with that, well, you know, we can see what happens. And he's like, well, if that goes well, is there, you know, equity on the table? So I said, hey, if you can take this pain away, we will definitely talk about that. So at that time, his other business was slowing down and he was looking for a way to just generate you know, some money. So, you know, I we just proposed a flat fee for him to do these. I rerouted all my Calendly links to him and essentially sent him a couple recordings. And it was probably a week later where he was just, you know, taking over those demos. And it was probably maybe another week before he had his first sale. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is working. If you could outline the few steps, uh, how your sales systems have evolved from you doing it yourself towards the systems you had to set up when it was two of you, because for us at Useless, for example, the transformative step was when we had at least one more person doing it because it instantly introduced more accountability. You had to do proper CRM setup and to be more deliberate with like uh, making notes, uh, tracking leads and other things. So I imagine you had an interesting learning curve there. Like what was it? So yeah, for when I was running them, I 
I think I was using Streak at the time. So one of those tools to just do the CRM in your in your Gmail inbox type of thing. So I was using that for myself. Uh, I think in the initial period when Micah came on board, I was trying to share that with him, but that's when it pretty much started to come a little more, the wheels started to come off a bit. <laughs> I don't remember exactly when, but we did transition to looking at a couple different CRMs. We ended up going with HubSpot, which was very fortunate for us at that point in time. So for the life of us, ever since we've had more than two people essentially in the like sales funnel or taking demos and, and consultative calls and things like that, we've used HubSpot. And so fortunately over the years, we've never had to transition because they were on a rise up from when they had their first free CRM. And honestly, we keep benefiting from all the things they keep building out in front of us. So we've never outrun them in terms of like, hey, we're looking for features that they don't have. But HubSpot's been a, a great tool for us internally as just you know, a way to that definitely added to all the different types of things you have with multiple people. So sharing email follow-up scripts, because I didn't do much email follow-up when it was just me, because I just didn't have time, right? And basically clicking in other better practices, there were dashboards and things like that. And because Micah was so in tuned with kind of just being like a, a late bound founder, it was never about me monitoring him, but he needed to add that once we did add other salespeople. So dashboards and saying like activity, helping them really refine their role, because if it was just a salesperson, they would need to understand that they're going to be, you know, managing, you know, 50 demos a week, things like that, how to do their follow-up, all those pieces. So as the velocity increased, the number of systems and dashboards and reporting and notifications and all those types of things definitely took a massive level up from when it was me and in my inbox, writing down my own notes, keeping my notes and other little columns and hopefully doing the right follow-up. When we talk about founder-led sales, what benefits does a founder have acting as a salesperson that nobody hired can, can do? Like, What's the unique advantage of doing sales yourself first? I definitely think there's a massive trust factor you just have going in. So the fact that you talk about the product, your the sound of your voice when you're in those, it, those things are hard to emulate with a kind of a hired person outside coming in where that may be just their job and that's okay, right? They know even if they're comped based off of, you know, incentives for sales commissions or things like that, it's hard to just emulate that founder that is also thinking long-term, right? They're, the founder is is really the person that's really trying to push for the close of the sale because they really understand you know, where the product is going, I think is, is more adapt to making comments like, oh, we don't have that feature, but it, it is on our roadmap and we are building that, or I could build that this weekend, or and setting those expectations with a much higher level of trust. If they're hearing it secondhand, if a prospect is hearing it secondhand, they could just chalk it up as being potentially salesy or just someone trying to push the the prospect over the line. So that passion and that trust, I think, are two massive factors that you just can't replicate with a hired person. Let's decompose sales a little bit. Obviously, doing demo calls is uh, the big uh, visible part of it. But what are the other stages that are involved in the sales per se? 
So I think one of the big ones that I tripped into accidentally <laughs> was I think what they call discovery, right? And is really just most of the sales are really about trying to find out if your product is the right fit for that prospect or potential customer coming in. So it actually involves you asking very specific types of questions, but then letting them talk about it. It's less about you showing and more about you asking and then showing once the, the stars align to those right points. And I think the kickoff question I always had, which, you know, when you're first doing sales, you're kind of like, where do I start? Where do I go? Do I just, I'm nervous. Do I just jump into, let me show you. The one I always defaulted back into was, what is your plan for a referral program? So that was always my first kind of opening because it would allow me to set the tone on which direction are they going? If someone goes, oh, I don't have a plan, you know, my brain can immediately go to, oh, this is earlier. We're talking about, we don't even, may not even get to the product. Let's, I have to talk to them about the conceptuals of like how this could work. Now, if they come in with a plan and saying like Uber's program, I want to do something like that. And then I can start there because it meets them where they are. And they're talking about what a program is for them. And I can also offer consultative advice and say, well, that may not work for you because that's like a B2C thing. But if the people potentially referring you are marketers, but they work at a company, they don't care about their boss getting $10 off or giving their friend a credit. They might care about you know a $10 Starbucks card. That might be more interesting to them, right? So then you could start to actually kind of just drop some knowledge on them, so to speak, like work with them on where their plans are, what they're thinking, and hopefully steer them in the right direction. So it becomes a more of a conversation. It becomes more consultative. And I think it starts with those types of questions. And there's lots of different discovery questions depending on stages that I think uh, founders or any salespeople can start with, but it gets them talking and gives you points to sort of connect to them. And then hopefully you're connecting the dots into a demo or following up later with a customized demo that is built for them if it's a really high value sale. Do you have any special favorite ways to close a call and ask some questions that would motivate the other party to take some action? Not really. That was probably the part I was not very good at. So I still had the kind of, I'm the developer, I'm the product person, and essentially trying to, for me, it was mostly just, I was better at at combating the objections, right? And trying to help them understand why it is a fit than necessarily pushing them over the line. I think I alluded to, I was not very good at the follow-up afterwards. I would do some, I would do a couple emails and check-ins. Uh, I would put it on a thing, but usually because at that point in time, you know, where I was looking at my time and my schedule and where I was putting my own energy, I didn't have as much time to chase ones. Um, honestly, if I knew it was a, a decent one, I would just mine would just be like, is there anything I can do to help you, you know, and, you know, when do you want to get started? So I'd try to ask them questions that would like push them in the direction. But honestly, I never did the like really asking for the sale types of things. I guess a couple of our favorites are, uh, well, what's your timeline for adopting such tools? Obviously one and the another, that one is from Steli FT. Uh, mm -hmm. What can we do to help you become a paying customer? So that kind of puts them in different thinking mode. I don't know what's magic about those words, but they, they're good. <laughs> no, I think they're good. They do force a, they force a response. They force someone to have to answer, right? Like everyone 
feels rude if they're not like answering a question or if they say, well, the timeline is that, or I don't know, or I got to talk to my boss. And those are like the objections or the deflecting types of things, but at least sort of puts them in a spot, but not necessarily in a totally rude way either. So. What are your routines about taking notes, logging everything, logging the recording, like how meticulous you are versus how freeform and negligent you are on that front? (laughs) (laughs) When I was doing it, uh, in general for me for notes, I usually have like a, just some shorthand types of notes that if anyone else was to look at them, they'd have no idea the chicken scratch, or even if I'm typing them, the, the words that I'm using. So for me, it's about taking those immediately or during the call if it's something that just sticks out while I'm going. In addition to right after it, I'm cleaning them up so at least I'll be able to retranslate them later. So it's kind of adding a little bit more color. So I usually try to take you know, maybe uh, at least five minutes between types of calls and things like that just to self-summarize. It might have some you know, bulleted points and I might organize them into, you know, move some things around or, or that type of stuff. So now if I, how I follow up with them and what I put them in after that, that kind of depended on like where I felt like their timeline was and things like that on, on the sales specifically. Anything new that was added to this routine after Micah took over and made everything more deliberate? Yeah. So uh, I'd say at that point we started to have more specific, I would say, like inflection points, right? Like types of questions we would ask. So we do have a now a much more refined form that our salespeople fill out. So it does have questions like, you know, who else are you looking at? So we now have lists of shopping competitors. We do have some questions about, again, like sort of timelines and things like that. So all of those get entered in a form and inputted into our CRM. I would like to say we use it a lot, but we, you know, we look at those charts, but we, it's definitely like a, a goldmine for data that we haven't spent enough time analyzing, <laughs> but it is one of those things where it's like, oh, hey, we want to build X integration. I wonder how many prospects have even using that as crossed over with X integration for that, that have come in, even if they didn't buy, what is, was it a person that was a good potential customer and we just didn't close the deal? So we do look at those information to help us with future decisions. We also do now use like a call recording software that we do those things on Zoom. So it has the recordings. It helps, you know, Micah and his team, they will go through and, you know, pick one each week and listen to it. So they do some kind of peer coaching in addition to trying to use more of those softwares to pick out trigger words, pick out different things and trends and patterns and things like that. Definitely one of those things, again, we should be doing more actionable stuff out of the analysis and data that we have, but we don't always work around to it. But those are some of the, probably the big things is capturing certain fields in addition to the recordings. Are there any favorite books, blogs, or other resources that you've been using to improve your sales process? Anything that our listeners could head over to? Not offhand. Again, I'm a little further removed and I was doing things very organically and didn't even know what the names were. I mean, I think we have gone through, actually, yeah, come to think of it, there have been a couple along the process that have helped to at least add color and add, see other reps that other people are doing. There was a one by one of the early 
CMOs of HubSpot. I think it's the sales acceleration formula, I believe. Mm-hmm. It was by Mark Roberge. So that was one that we looked at early on and it talked about how HubSpot modeled their their comp plans and things like that. And it really gave us some, at least some ideas of how to compensate inbound people, inbound salespeople versus like outbound and the typical like bigger enterprise sales, OTE, all these other terms that sort of uh, are a little more elusive or very like a totally different language for people who haven't been in the sales world. Oh, I'm so glad you touched on compensation because of course it's a very sensitive subject, but maybe you could give us a primer on how salespeople are in generally compensated and maybe some ballpark numbers even if you're generous. (laughs) So for us, and we've gone through a couple iterations of this, and one of the big lessons we've had over this, which is sort of interesting, is just so you know, anytime you do make changes to your comp plan, even though logically the math may work out to be better in someone's favor, the salespeople are always skeptical. <laughs> so we, it's like your new yeah. startup pricing is going to be better for you, of course. Well, but it's optimized for <laughs> for the other party anyways, right? So Exactly. And even if you can show like, hey, here's the numbers from last year and under this new comp plan, you'd actually make more. Regardless, it's still just always looked with kind of a side eye of, of distrust. And maybe it's just because I think people that have been in sales for a long time, just what I didn't realize is... It's a disruption to them, right? It's like when we talk about comp models, we run a like essentially a 50-50 comp model where they have 50% based salary and then a 50% based on performance. And the performance is based on the sales they make. They get a certain percentage or a certain dollar amount per sale that they close. So, you know, and we try to align it to essentially having a close to 50-50 match in those. Obviously, there's there's some small nuanced changes of, you know, if they sell an annual deal versus a monthly deal, there's bonuses for selling the longer term deal. So little ones that kind of help push the person in the right direction to help them comp more, because if we get more cash up front, it's easier to pay more cash up front as well. And also when you have someone on for an annual, you also have the chance of maybe they don't launch in the first month. Maybe they, you know, they get busy or they have other things, but since you have them for the year, you know, you get multiple reps at trying to reignite their onboarding or get them onboarded and things like that. So we also, as part of our comp model, incorporated some other little ways to help the salespeople make those sales. So for example, we would offer the more concierge onboarding with our CS team if you bought an annual or a six month deal type of thing. So it wasn't like they were just saying, hey, give us more money up front. They were saying, oh, you can give us some more money up front, but we'll also provide extra bonus services that you would also otherwise have to pay for when you're doing a monthly type of thing. So mm-hmm. it's so aligning the comp model to try to make the customers as successful as possible. And then you have the, the business side and then you have the salesperson side. So it is challenging with those three parties to get them all aligned and and as you add products and features and plans that often, you know, disrupt some of those things. So it's one of those things you probably have to look at every, every six months or at least every year to reassess, look at the history, look at what changes are, understanding what makes a sale easy for 
salespeople versus what stuff adds more friction where it was unnecessary. Now that you run a whole team, are they all absolutely on a similar comp structure and comp monetary value, or is it all individual per person? It is standardized for everyone. I think the bases may vary. The bases vary based off of like experience level. Some people are a little more junior, so they might have a lower base, which also means they are usually working the lesser quality leads as well. So it's sort of a way for them to prove themselves because we also do some like lead scoring and lead routing in our process. So when you know, a big enterprise company comes in that is more adapt to, you know, talking to a salesperson and they're bringing three people on the sales call to be talked to and have all of these other bells and whistles, kind of they, they expect the sales treatment versus, you know, a individual founder coming in or a smaller company coming in that is just looking to just understand and click to buy and that type of thing. You know, we have different motions for those. So, the a more junior person may have a lower base, but they might get more volume as well. So, but they there are risk to throwing a super big enterprise prospect their way and potentially putting it in their hands because we don't want to take things away from people and break the continuity of their trust with the customer and all of those pieces. So that's a way we kind of intermix. Everyone is on the same incentive based model. So on the incentive side, those are all exactly the same. From an operation standpoint, it makes it easy to calculate. You try to keep that stuff as simple as possible because you just don't want to have an, so many different iterations that it just makes it a full-time job to calculate those and make sure that those things are right. So definitely try to do the kind of keep it simple type of uh, mentality with those formulas. I'm glad that you mentioned that you have things that empower your salespeople to do better, to make their life easier. And among those, you know, those added value services like concierge and boarding with annual plans, they probably have a range of discounts they can, you know, give away personally. Anything else that helps them do their job well? I mean, I think the big thing is a lot of the internal operations. So a lot of salespeople may not be good at the note-taking and all of those things. So the better you can set up the forms that are going to automatically sync to the CRM. And I think I mentioned earlier, personalized dashboards so they can come in every day and it says, I have to follow up with these ones. These are the three I can wait to. These are the ones I'm waiting on to call back. Like all of those types of things. So really, the I think it's just called like sales ops or some people might call it rev ops or tech ops. But all of that side, making sure the CRMs are set up they have a simple dashboard where they can just kind of just smile and dial or just like whatever <laughs> kind of grind it out type of acronym you might have, but that they are set up so they don't have to think because most of the time they're highly tuned. They want to go do the reps, but they also just, most people, it's not a, if you're in sales, you're in it to, you know, for relationships, you like talking to people, you like connecting and you like helping people. But at the same time, you probably like being decently compensated. And if people like the sales track, they know that it may not be the most like life-fulfilling work for them. But if you can make it easier for them to just kind of when they are clocking in to do their work and making it so that they just know exactly what they need to do, you're not making them enter 
50 other things in five different CRMs and places that just make it like, why am I doing this? This is taking away from me just focusing on doing the job you want me to do versus doing data entry. So trying to make it as simple for them as possible as well. We made a similar mistake with our first unsuccessful customer success hires when we were expecting that the customer success specialist would come in and instantly provide us with like also recommendations and best practices on how we should all set it up and what software we shall use. And in the end, it's up to the founder and uh, the manager to do that, not to the ultimate person. You shouldn't expect everything in the world from them, not, not the ops part, right? Yeah, and that depends on what you hire for, right? So some areas where, again, with Micah, I got very lucky because he had a founder mentality. He had a, I want to set things up as a system mentality. So he did a lot of stuff, but alongside with me, and we you know, argue about what fields should go where and different things like that. But ultimately, he would take those and run and build the dashboards, do the things for them. So he was very strong fortunately, on the operations side. And in other hires, we've the ones that have been the most successful in our early stages, honestly, we had to hire a little higher than we wanted to in terms of it was better for us to hire player coaches that had done it before. They were either a lead, so they've seen the show, might have been involved with helping set up CRMs and different things like that, definitely have a strong opinion about their preferences. But those people were much more adapt to clicking in and actually picking up and helping. If anything, that's why they joined us because they would have that autonomy to be able to set it up how they wanted to versus living under someone else's system that they didn't agree with. So if they had a strong opinion on those things, had been doing enough of the reps that the the basic selling or customer success and support was sort of stuff that they could do in their sleep, those were the best ones that became really strong building blocks for us internally because they could spend some time and had a strong opinion about how the operations and how the day-to-day processes would work. Let's touch on inbound and outbound versus outbound sales. You mentioned that there is at least a difference in compensation. Anything else that makes those sales processes different or similar? Sure. I think the big one you mentioned, you were asking about, like, you know, we talked about the demo part of the sales process and we also brought up the discovery part. And I think when you're dealing with outbound, you can kind of start mostly on just discovery where, you know, I did have the part of where I did add that divergent question I mentioned earlier about what is your plan for a referral program? If someone answers that question with what, what do you mean? I don't understand. It's like, oh, wow, I need to go all the way back to qualification (laughs) or I need to go back to awareness and understanding, like, do you know what we do (laughs) types of things? Which is funny because you'd get some people, which was strange. They'd be like, I don't know why I'm here, but sell it to me. And it's like, uh, okay, that's weird. Let's zoom out. (laughs) Yeah. So, but I think, you know, when you're dealing with outbound, their biggest job as SDRs. So it's a different role. It is people that are essentially going out and hunting for things versus just farming the things that are kind of coming in. You know, it's a good analogy. And the people that are out there hunting, they have one advantage. They can target who they want to hunt first before just taking anyone that's coming in the door. But the challenge is they also have to qualify them in addition to, are they ready to buy? Like you ask questions of like, what's your timeline? And if you're reaching out to them and you're asking like, 
hey, Jane, you want to do referral software? What's your timeline? You'll be like, uh, I didn't know I was supposed to have a timeline. Aren't you calling me? So <laughs> those types of questions and those types of things are different. And when you're doing the outbound, you have to generate some level of interest about what you do to even get them to start thinking about it. You might be presenting early information that leads them to even start thinking about a solution in your area before you can even get into kind of setting up a call. So there, that outbound role is really, can I establish that connection? Can I make sure that they are at least somewhat interested? And can I qualify them enough to where I'm handing them off to an AE? And that is the typical like outbound thing. It's almost two separate sales roles where someone is doing the outreach and they're bringing them in. And then that person is starting from the same block that we talk about from inbound. So they're starting from, okay, let me ask more detailed discovery because hopefully there wasn't too much crossover of questions. So the customer doesn't feel like they got asked the same questions by two different people, but getting into the other side, I'd say the inbound side starts on what is typical to handing off like a warm lead. As we're wrapping up today's episode, what would be one do and one don't when it comes to SaaS sales? Okay, so I might kind of hack this one a bit, <laughs> but I would definitely say the do is be more regimented about the follow-up. So mostly because I mentioned I didn't do that very much. I didn't do the close. I didn't, I was not as well organized since it was just out of my inbox. If I could do it over again, after I saw how all our salespeople were able to get all these sales and they didn't have the founder superpowers, but what they did have was processes and good regimented automations and systems and things like that in place. If I was doing that, or I had someone even help me set that up and even plug me into that, we probably could have made a lot more sales early on in that process and probably could have taken a little bit of risk off the table of like trying to hire up. The don't, I would say also just, that was a big one is just don't be afraid of leaning into those founder superpowers. Like, you know, just be more casual. The fact that people are talking to you, you don't think it's a big deal, but they do. It's one of these situations where later on as even me as a CEO of 20 people, it just seems strange to me because like, I want to talk to people like they're normal, like you and me are talking, <laughs> Jane. But there's this air of like CEO or this founder type of thing above my head that I can't see. But so when you're talking to prospects, don't be afraid to lean into those passions that you're having and the vision that you want to build for the stuff. Like that's the stuff you can talk about with confidence, but not sell yourself and not say like, Hey, it'll be here next week. And we're not talking about like doing anything that is lying or, or trying to push things that aren't true, but lean into those ones, but you can keep yourself in check by saying, yeah, I will build that if you buy, but I can't get it to you for three weeks. But if you buy today, I'm, I'll make sure that you get that in three weeks. And you know, you put your name on the line. And since you're the product manager and potentially the developer as well, like you just hung yourself on that line, but you could do that and close a lot of sales that way as well. I'd love to add a little tip from our team is mix founder authority and knowledge with another member of the team sitting in those calls. And that can be maybe customer success person, any kind of VA, anybody from your team who can maybe take notes, do some admin filing afterwards, support you mentally, maybe ask refining questions sometimes. It just makes you feel supported 
for example, it has helped me quite a lot when our customer success manager, Michael, was sitting with me on the calls. It felt like we're suddenly, instead of me and I don't know, maybe it's it's a girl thing, but I did feel like 10x better when it was the two of us instead of just me on those calls with the customer. So just maybe you can love, it doesn't have to be an expensive salesperson. It ha- can be anyone from your team. No, I can imagine that that could be really powerful because there is there are times where, especially if you're outnumbered on the other side, it's for you <laughs> to be kind of put on the spot as that one person. And there's a reason why like even bringing in, you know, I'm sure bringing in Benedict for like, sales engineer stuff if necessary. And, and it also just shows commitment on your side, bringing to people like, it's like, Ooh, this isn't just this lone person I scheduled this thing with. It definitely, I think, breeds confidence on the company side that's doing the selling. We used to do demos with Benedict together for quite a while. But then when I shared that with my mentors, they were like, seriously like two founders uh spending their time in demos like you must be kidding well we had to seize that but it was also great for team building by the way we were sharing customer sentiments in real time for the early product and that was that was great times (laughs) right right josh thanks so much for the wisdom today where can people find more of yourself and referral rock online sure so I'm active on Twitter at jlogic, J-L-O-G-I-C. I also have a podcast, which kind of founder SaaS podcast with uh, Nate. It's called Searching for SaaS. So that's a good place. We publish there every other week. And if you like any marketing stuff that we didn't really talk too much about marketing stuff, but my head is a lot in sales and marketing. And I'm working on a new podcast with another person that is launching in probably about a month or so. It's called Marketing Retro. It's with Adrian Barnes. I think you know Adrian as well. So yeah, so we're kicking off kind of a marketing one over there that tinkering with some different podcast formats and stuff. So it should be a lot of fun. Lovely. Congrats on the new one. Well, always pleasant to talk to fellow (laughs) podcaster. And if you want to go and use Referral Rock, is it? referralrock.com yep yep i was old enough to get the dot com (laughs) (laughs) fantastic well thanks again josh and have a wonderful rest of your week thanks for having me jane thanks for listening you can find a written recap for this episode at userless.com slash podcast please help us grow by leaving a review on itunes